Welcome to the Innovative Leader Podcast with Christy Geiger, Master Certified Coach, and David Phillips, Educator, Analyst, and Consultant. Our mission is to equip, inspire, and transform how we lead in life and work. In today's rapidly evolving world, raising the level of leadership is more important than ever before. Weekly topics support you to navigate the changing tide of business and leadership. Here are your hosts, Christy and David. Hey folks, uh, welcome back to the Innovative Leader Podcast. Uh, hope you're doing well. This is, uh, we're looking at the week of September 17th. Um, and so today we have a, a special uh, guest joining us. And um, uh, Christy, why don't you take a moment and introduce her. And sure. uh, then we'll get uh, started on um, just having a chat. Awesome. Great. Yeah, we're really honored and excited to have Tina with us today. Um, Tina is a contact of mine, and she is a business coach with, and owner of Panoramic. Uh, Panoramic is a company that educates and equips people with their finances and their business. So if you want to check that out, it's panoramicacademy.com. And Tina is a CPA by trade. She's been in business for over 30 years. Most recently, she has bought and sold, grown and sold then an HVAC company to a private equity firm. So lots of experience that has happened over the last couple of years with that. And right now, and in her past, really what she does is she helps businesses and business leaders, uh, roughly over 50 business leaders and owners in up to five different countries, right? Is that Tina, correct? In the world, um, she's super passionate about owners taking control of their business. And she has seen a big difference in how people operate when they are taking control of their business versus when their business is kind of taking control of them. And that is what we're going to jump into today. We're going to talk about autopiloting your business and that there is a difference in how we can operate, the choices and decisions we can make. Uh, Tina brings not only her experience as a consultant and a coach, but she walked the talk and did this herself in the HVAC company, as well as in her company that she is growing and building right now. So Tina, we're super excited to have you here. And we're just going to spend today asking you some questions and your expertise on how do people autopilot their business? What does that mean? What does it look like? Exactly. Awesome, Go ahead. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for the invite. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, so uh, Tina, you know, one of the, one of the, uh, one of the things we talk about, Christy and I talk about a lot um, in, in through in leadership 4.0 is is a, is about creating a team, um, uh, really being able to allow your team to function, and as a leader, you, you essentially function as a coach uh, in in so many ways. But in small businesses, obviously, it's or or even medium sized businesses, that's that's a much different, uh, much more difficult. Um, it's much harder to do simply because you're having to wear so many hats, right? Um, so one of the things that uh, that we as leaders need to do is is to teach uh, our team to um, effectively make decisions on their own. Um, and so uh, so one of the questions that I will have or I have on that is, you know, why is why is it important to do that? 
what's the kind of the the problem or the or the issue if you don't um, uh, work with your team and empower them to to make decisions without having to to go through you every time they make a decision? Well, one of the biggest things is the business will always be dependent on you. The likelihood of you being able to take a, a, a real vacation, have real control of your time, money, and energy, you're, you're always kind of stuck in the business. And so your, your business never has the opportunity to mature. And so think about it, when you're raising a kid, is it easier to, for you to tie the shoes for them every morning? Or should you take the time, invest that time on the front end and teach them how to do it? So that way your child eventually becomes independent and matures. And um, so we need to think about our businesses that way too. We've got such a mindset of we, we need to always be in this struggle. Business is always supposed to be hard, but you can move through that and, and empower your team. It takes a village to build a business. And so we need to invite, if we've taken the time to hire the right people, why not empower them and invite them in and allow them to make those uh, decisions so that way we can work on the business and rely on our team to get the things done that they need to, to take care of our customers. And so it's really just kind of a, you know, it's a choice. Do you want the business to always be dependent on you? Or do you want to invest that time to teach your team to make those decisions in your absence? Yeah, that's so, uh, go ahead, Christy. Well, that's great. And I think it's super relevant. I was actually having that conversation with one of my coaching clients this week, and we were talking about the exact same tying your shoes and kind of two challenges. So number one, teaching them to tie their shoes is sometimes, of course, easier said than done, right? So then let's say that the owner communicates, okay, we need to be tying our shoes and we're wearing tie tennis shoes. But then you have a business leader, maybe it's your integrator, maybe it's the operator, operations, or another leader in your company who is more responsible for holding them accountable for tying their shoes. And we all know how people, ourselves, many people struggle with accountability. Mm -hmm. And so often with accountability, it's easier to go, oh, it's fine. Just wear your flip-flops. Don't worry about it. And so... <laughs> <laughs> so out of like the craziness, it's so busy. I don't have time to retrain you how to tie your shoes and you did it wrong. They're in a knot and they're a mess. So whatever, just put on your flip-flops or get out the Velcro and it's fine. And we kind of let it go rather than taking that minute to stop and retie how to tie your tennis shoes and to hold the standard of tying your tennis shoes and to not only empower them, but to be consistent with that message because we are busy and we don't have time. So it, it's this catch 22. How do you deal with that? Well, you've got to um, kind of really identify why do you not have the time? Are you going through COVID and it's a pandemic that's affecting everyone. And so you were just holding on tight and you let everybody wear flip-flops because you just got to deal with the big issues and right now, Velcro and flip-flops will work. And, but if it's your normal season, 
you cannot just allow those bad habits to creep in. And so you've got to have that accountability. You've got to have those tough conversations. You might need to go back and have a little bit of retraining. You know, sometimes as business owners, we want to say something one time. We want to train someone one time. We want them to get it done. We don't want to talk about it again because we're moving on to the next thing. But as business owners, we've got to go back. We've got to circle back to that conversation and make sure that we're holding them accountable. And that's where it comes in to where instead of having a 30,000 page employee manual with all these rules, you need to have a clear set core values. And these are the rules that help us keep on track and you enforce those rules. Because if you've got a whole bunch of rules and nobody's following them, then why do you have them? And so it just kind of depends on why that has kind of grown to where everybody's wearing flip-flops. Is it temporary? You're getting through COVID or has this become permanent? And you need to really kind of go back to the drawing board and lay that foundation right again. Yeah, that's great. I was talking with someone else today about that concept of the longer we're wearing flip-flops, the more that becomes the norm. And yes. so sometimes we feel like flip-flops are an exception, but an exception is a very short period of time. And even our good habits and our bad habits take really less than 30 days to form. Mm -hmm. And so if we are wearing flip-flops for 30 days, which COVID, great example, has been much longer than that, it now has become the norm or the new standard, which now is harder because you have to break the flip-flop habit and train how to tie your tennis shoes. So great point. So I like what you said, core values, understanding your core values, understanding the commitment and the standard of what you want to be setting a standard for tying those tennis shoes, repeat and retrain. You can't just train it once, you have to repeat and retrain. And then that really is the accountability. So you're empowering them to do it, but then you're holding them accountable to hold that standard. Awesome, love it. Yeah, do you, do you think that we sometimes um, uh, especially on the training side, it feels like, uh, we, we give them a fire hose instead of giving them a, a garden hose. Uh, and, and by that, I mean that, you know, we just throw everything at them and then expect them to learn it as opposed to having an effective training strategy so that we can, we can do some things, you know, you know, over 30 days, some things over a 60 day span with, repetition with with you know kind of building building blocks those kinds of things um i just think about sometimes the trainings that we that we have for our employees depending on the business it can be uh, it can be overwhelming when you first walk into it um so so that training aspect i would think would need to be um be productive and efficient and and not just be something you overwhelm them with have you found that is that kind of the case Yes, because think about it, you as the business owner, you've been thinking about that problem that you identified and you've been working through what that solution is, you've created the training, you've thought about what the policy needs to be, you've gone through all that. So you've possibly been thinking about it for 30 or 60 days, depending on what the situation is before you actually start the training. So you cannot spend all that time thinking about it and then walk in for 15 minutes and say, hey, y'all got it? Any questions? Let's yeah. get back to work. You know, so we've got to be very mindful. Also, I would encourage people when you are training, instead of only training the rules and the how-to, you click this box, 
you give a 15% discount to this person, instead of just the how, I would encourage you to teach the why, because the why is super important. And that's one of the key mechanisms in empowering your employees, because when you kind of give them the why, they understand why that rule is necessary, why you're implementing this new training. So instead of it coming off as, oh no, just another rule in the rule book, we got to do what the boss lady says, you don't want to have that impression. You want them to understand what that problem, you know, how it originated, how more than one person um, saw that problem. It's not just an isolated event. And just help them understand how it affects them, the customers, the bottom line, whatever the situation is. So when you match the how with the why, you're definitely increasing the chances of one, it's going to stick, and two, they're going to buy into it. But you still have to retrain. Yeah. No, and I would think the why, by, by, by expressing the why, um, they, they begin to understand why the business operates the way it does, not just the how. And so it allows them to, um, uh, to be able to make those decisions without always going back to you uh, as the employer, because they understand the heart of the business and the, and the, and, and the core of the business. And so it, does this align with, with who we are as a business? Um, if that, if it does align, then just make the decision. Don't, you don't have to check everything out with the boss that kind of thing. And we kind of gave them permission with that because I always viewed everything as this is 1.0, this is 2.0. You know, we are, this is a new um, policy and procedure. There's no way I have thought of every single scenario. I'm not, you know, in that air conditioning company, I was not out making repairs. And so I would encourage them to come back to me if you're running into problems. Uh, the why helps provide that overall spirit of the rule, kind of the boundaries. So that way they can kind of make the decisions, but then they knew when, hey, this is a red flag. Let me go back and check in with my manager or with the owner and just kind of see if I'm on track or maybe the policy needs to be updated. Maybe right. a whole section was skipped during the training. So um, having trying to create more of that two-way conversation in the training is also important. Yeah, that's good. Um, so, you know, there's there's one part um, in, in kind of in this scenario where you've got an owner who who wants to, to give up a lot of that control and, and to be able to um, uh, let employees make decisions. Uh, and, and then you have that other scenario where the, the employer is like, you know, I want everything to go through me. Um, and, and so we kind of talked about that second one, but in the, in the first scenario, um, or no, sorry, in the second scenario, um, where, where employees, uh, you know, are working for someone who wants to make every decision or feels the need to make every decision because it's their baby, it's their, you know, that kind of thing. Um, what does it look like for employees who want to make decisions, but then are stuck because because they're not allowed to. They get frustrated. They get frustrated. And, you know, so many times when we're hiring employees, we think that the number one decision maker is the amount of pay. But there's a lot of studies that have shown once the employee meets a certain threshold in their personal finances, 
they start looking for the ability to have the freedom in their schedule, the freedom to make decisions in the business. And, um, you know, they, they want to feel valued. They want their opinion to, to, they want to feel heard. And so whether it's going to the owner with an idea or sharing a new idea with a customer. And so if you are keeping all of that to you as the owner, you're really, you're re really doing a dis you know, and you're, and you're not serving your employees very well. You're not creating that great culture. You're not relying on, if you've taken the time to hire the right people, then you should really give them the tools that they need and get out of their way. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, and sometimes that's harder, that's easier said than done, right? And um, we, we all know that employees don't always leave for money. They might blame right. it on money, but they're usually leaving because of a bad circumstance, either a bad manager, they're not feeling heard. There's usually something else out there. And so one of the easiest ways is to, you know, invite them into that conversation within your core values and your strategic plan. You don't want it to be the wild, wild west, but right. you can, you can have those boundaries. Exactly. Dan, Daniel Pink has a good book called Drive that, that really mm -hmm. talks about a, a lot of that, um, those things. Um, so awesome. That's cool. Mm -hmm. So um, why do you think people, why do you think owners fear giving up that kind of control? Well, most business owners are control freaks, at least that's been my experience <laughs> with the owners that I've worked with and, and networked with. And so, you know, we're just naturally just, we want to maintain that control. Also, I believe that, you know, a lot of us, when we think about our previous employment, have we ever seen that in our previous employer? So, and sometimes if we've never seen it, we've never experienced it, and then we don't necessarily know how to do it, then that all adds fear as well. And so I think a lot of that just really adds to it. Also keep in mind, a lot of business owners think that when we're talking about giving up control and allowing our employees to make decisions, that we're just allowing them to make every major financial strategic right. decision. But I'm talking about just the low hanging fruit. Like how many times a week are you asked about can I give this customer a discount? How much should I charge? Can um, Sally take a day off? Uh, we've made a mistake. How do we correct it? I promise you a lot of that. You might think that you are needed for every single one of those, but I would imagine within about 30 minutes, you could come up with the top five scenarios and create a little fr a framework and you have a policy around it. Teach the employees and empower them. So I think it's a combination of a lot of things. And um, maybe it's just a little bit mis misunderstood and the control freak is coming out. <laughs> yeah, there's a, you know, so I, I, I think of it in, two, in kind of in uh, two areas. You have, a, you have macro decisions that are kind of major decisions that the business has to make. Uh, and then you have micro decisions. And, and it's those micro decisions that you can, you can let your employees make uh, and, and in some cases, some, depending on the macro, the level of macro and the macro decisions, um, you can, you can help them or allow them to be part of those decisions, mm -hmm. whether or not you make, you know, allow them to make that or not. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that's really good. The, the low hanging fruit. I mean, uh, do we give them a discount? That's sometimes that's the, that's the, 
that's the easiest decision an employee can make. So, so Tina, can you dig into that a little bit more though? Talk a little bit about how does that tactically look like? So sometimes I think, I do agree with you that I think a lot of owners are control freaks. However, I guess I would say a lot of owners don't mean to be control freaks and they feel caught in this catch 22 where they've experienced mistakes, lost money and a lost customer, things that are a really big deal. And they're like, this ultimately is my business. And there aren't, there's not going to be a business if we keep making mistakes like this. And so then they get caught in this catch 22 between feeling anxious or nervous or just prudent to check up on something, which then feels like micromanaging or controlling. So what do you think, what have you seen work as far as really empowering and starting to turn over those micro decision control things? Is it about good onboarding your 30, 60, 90? Is it about mentoring and having mini trainings? Is it in your uh, regular staffing meeting, your L10, your weekly huddle, whatever it is? Like, where, where do you find those pieces? Is it maybe just dynamic when a situation comes up? How do you address creating the empowerment of the macro or micro, sorry, the micro decisions? Um, for us, you know, we bought a business that was struggling and about maybe a year and a half in, I was so frustrated. I felt like every time I felt like I fixed one thing, three more things broke. And I was going down the route of adding more rules mm -hmm. every time I turned around, but it didn't matter because there's always a loophole to every rule. And so I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to stop. And so that's where core values came into play for us because it's like, okay, instead of teaching the rules, I want to teach the spirit of it. Um, the spirit of the company, what is our long-term plan? And so, you know, when we were, I started off with making a list of what were the biggest issues that I was facing. And I just started picking one at a time. Where did I feel comfortable sharing in the information and inviting people in? You know, for me, I, I'm naturally a numbers and a systems person. So that's probably naturally where I started. Whereas other people might feel a little bit more comfortable with um, maybe on the back end, following up with the customer to confirm that the customer is happy. If you know 99% of the time that that's going to be a yes, go ahead and carve that off of your to-do list. Let someone else take that over. So just starting where you're at, it doesn't have to be a grand slam. You can start making those 1% improvements where you feel comfortable. And just allow, because once you see it work, it's addictive. And you're like, okay, well, instead of me doing this, who on my team can I train this person to? And also keep in mind, not everything needs to be a policy. You might just need to communicate your expectations. Like if you're talking about delegating cleaning supplies, just have a communication with that office manager about the budget, the timing, and fragrance-free, please. But then if it's actually discounts, your entire company needs to be on board. So that's more of a policy that needs to be written. So just kind of starting where you're at and um, where, where you feel comfortable, what has the most impact on helping you? Like think about a goal. You want a long lunch, 
have a date night, take a Friday off? What can you do to free up the time for that where you have the ability to take off if you want to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder, what do you think? It feels like a lot of times we talk a lot, David and I talk a lot about the 2.0 leadership and the 4.0 leadership. And I like what you were talking about where sometimes it's just a communication and that it's a dialogue with the person who might be doing that. But like you said, if it's a discount, it's a little bit broader. So you'd communicate that wider. It feels like there is a movement away from policy because policy can be a little bit top down. So how could you, and of course there's a need sometimes for policy, like you have to have it. But what do you feel is in between there where you are creating this empowerment, people feel, and I love what you were saying earlier about the spirit of the company, because the spirit of the company is kind of this very organic, you're, you're actually needing to make a decision yourself through the filter of the spirit of the company. It's not because it was per se a policy. It was like, what does generosity look like? What is gener- Is this generous or not? Um, so you're using that to discern how do you find that companies can practice the spirit of the company or can practice that type of critical thinking as they're growing that ability for people to think that way? Um, you definitely want to talk about it. Like for us, the spirit came through from the core values. And so we made it very intentional, like at every company meeting, someone would volunteer or, you know, we might have to point to somebody if they're a little nervous about talking, but, you know, we would invite people to come up and pick their favorite core value um, and talk about what it meant to them, how they've seen it um, with one of their coworkers recently. We just we just did our best to try to live it. It was not a document that we created because a consultant told us to, and we just filed it away. We allowed it to um, live and breathe. And so you you talked about uh, making decisions. You know, as business owners, we have to make a whole lot of decisions and we can have decision fatigue. And so when we have that spirit and those core values set for our employees, we don't have to make as many decisions because they understand they should be able to predict what what my answer is going to be. Did we make a mistake with a customer? We're going to make it right. You know, let's go to our core value. And so um, it just kind of takes the guesswork out. And so the, so for us, our core values were a kind of a version before it went to a policy because we tried to make it to where it wasn't a whole bunch of you know, rules and regulations, but some things need to be documented because we forget, does this customer get 15% or 5%? I mean, and I, that was another thing that I really tried to do. I try to remove the guesswork. I try to provide tools where they could just quickly reference something. So maybe it's not a policy. It's just a reference sheet. And a simple one at that, right? Yeah. Yeah. To be honest with you, I'm, you know, maybe my discount policy wasn't a policy now that I'm thinking about it. It was more of a reference sheet, right? The, these are the circumstances where you are pre-approved to go ahead and offer that discount. Yeah. I love that. That feels very empowering. It feels clean. Um, I'm not afraid if I'm that person of making a mistake because I know where my margin is. I know where my lane is and I know where I'm off where I'm off road. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. 
I, I love that is the reference sheet idea. I mean, obviously there's some things that we have to, to write down. There's HR things that, that, you know, kind of those scenarios where you have to write those down, they have to be, be clear. But, um, <clears throat> you know, if we can, if we can give them that reference and, and just, you know, almost even a, uh, if then, you know, if then kind of framework, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that makes it a lot, you know, they can kind of go through that decision tree a couple of levels and pretty quickly and, and figure out how to make that, um, make that decision. And it, it, and like you said, it's, it's very empowering. It, it sure beats the heck out of, um, you know, having to leave the customer, you know, every five minutes to go ask, well, can we do this? Then we have to go back. Can we do this? Those kinds of things, which, you know, from my standpoint, it, it frustrates me. Uh, if somebody's having to go back and forth three or four times to just to make a decision, um, especially if it's not that complicated of a decision. So, um, and you're, and our customers are very smart. Our customers, customers are sitting there thinking, why can't this person just sit here and answer my question? Right. Surely they've been asked this question before. And so it not only empowers the employee, but it actually makes your customer happier. So it's a win-win. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so oftentimes you know, I think of rules as, um, guardrails, uh, that's kind of the framework that, so, you know, uh, in the company I work for, uh, and obviously the HR rules and things like that, you, you need to follow, but, but, uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of a guardrail, have a guardrail mentality, just keep it between the guardrails and, and we're all okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, how do you, how do you think that works for employees to, to have that leeway? Is it, is it, and we've probably kind of talked about this already, but, but to to have that area where they can move, um, and, uh, I know, I know, uh, some of the notes I had, uh, maybe the idea of, of bowling alley bumpers, uh, those kinds of things. How how important is that? Um, just in the general scheme of of leading an organization, um, not not even just a, a specific you know a specific kind of business, but in just in leading people to have them have those those guardrails or those bumpers uh, so that they can um, have that freedom to move around. Uh, well, yeah, the bowling alley bumpers are really cool because you think about when a kid is learning how to bowl, you put the the bumpers down so that way they don't get a gutter ball. Well, yeah. your, employee, your employees don't want a gutter ball either. Your employees, the last thing they want to do is to put their neck out on the line and they get reprimanded because right. they made the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. And so when you give them that information that's structured within the bowling alley, lane, I mean, the bowling alley bumpers, you're, you're equipping the employees, you're giving them what they need. You're taking away some of that fear of failure, but then you're also identifying what are those outside boundaries? When is this a red flag? And so one of the things that um, it makes me think about when, you know, with my air conditioning company, we would have um, water, water would leak out of the condensate line. So if the line Mm -hmm. was in the attic, it would come through the ceiling into the 
um, living room. Unfortunately, it happened. It was a cost of doing business. That wasn't something that I needed to talk to my employees about. Water came through the, through the ceiling. If it was because of the air conditioning system, we need to make it right. right. And so my employees knew who to call, what the budget was, and they were able to take care of it. And so they knew how to stay within that lane, but then they also knew the red flags. If the customer stopped communicating, if the customer mentioned, I'm going to talk to my lawyer, those were some of the things that they knew I need to talk to a manager or to Tina. And so those bowling alley bumpers just really help provide that framework, build their confidence, but then also identify when you do need to get involved because sometimes you do. Yeah, it gives you that ability, it gives them that safe space to make that, to make those decisions and not feel like they're going to get, uh, get their hand slapped. Yeah. I know we're going to wrap up soon and I don't know if this is throwing too big of a can out there real quick, but I think it's related to what we were just talking about. And <clears throat> I know that you also talk about open book management. And there's a lot of pros and cons to open book management that's very vulnerable for a lot of owners to just have open books. But yet it's also a way that an employee or a team, at least the leadership, can be aware of what's happening in an organization in order to Mm -hmm. make decisions to make it right or to know where there's a flag or whatever. So I feel like that's related to the empowerment is knowing your dashboard. It's almost like flying a plane without part of the dashboard showing. And we're saying, okay, just fly the plane with these values, but you don't get to see this part. So what are your thoughts about how much information you're sharing and what information you're sharing and how does that contribute to really automating your business and empowering people? The, the traditional open book management, you would open up and share your balance sheet and your profit and loss statement. I never shared all of that because you've got to keep in mind that most of your employees do not understand how to use that information. And so that can open up more questions than it actually answers. So you, you, you can always start off small by actually um, you know, giving your employees the, the, the numbers and the information that they need to actually impact their world, that they are actually directly able to impact. So um, does the number 36% mean anything to y'all? No. No. From a financial statement standpoint? Okay, 36% is the amount of net profit that the general public believes all companies earn. So I want you to think about it. Your bottom line net profit divided by your total sales, the general population, which includes your employees and your customers, believe that your bottom line is 36%. When actuality in 212 industries, it's only 3%. So you've got a big gap between their perception in your reality. And so anything that you can do to try to bridge that gap 
will really help them understand what the business really goes through. Because right now they're only seeing the amount the customer pays on the invoice and how much they're paid in their payroll. And they assume that the difference that you're swimming in $100 bills every day, but that just doesn't happen because you've got a lot of expenses. And so one of the little exercises that we did was we just kept it very simple. We did not share the profit and loss statement. We actually shared the top five expenses. We were a service company. I did not share labor because when you see the total labor that can really kind of blow people's mind. But if you take labor out of it, what are the top five kind of overhead expenses? Usually that's marketing, employee benefits, insurance, building expenses, and then also uh, company vehicles. And so it may help the numbers come to life. You'll, You'll help bridge that gap where like if you show them a postcard that you mail to 5,000 customers, pass it around and ask them, how much do you think it costs us to design, print, and mail this to our customers? If you still, um, we, we did this exercise the first time and we were still in the yellow pages. So I actually passed the yellow pages around because that's shocking how much we paid for the yellow yeah. pages. Mm-hmm. And they were like, what? We paid that much? So I didn't share labor numbers, but I did share how much we would spend on like marketing because they needed to understand that a little bit. Also keep in mind, they pay for insurance. They pay for a home so they can understand building expenses. They pay for their personal car so they can understand company vehicles. And they also can directly affect that. They need to, they can turn the lights off and help us keep our utilities down. They can help us remember to have the oil changed in their company vehicle so we don't have so many repairs. So when you help them understand some of that, um, especially the numbers that they can impact, it can have a big effect on your bottom line. And that's one of the cool things. You see the bottom line increase, but it's not a separate line item. You just know that all of that training is paying off for you. So you can start small. You do not have to post your financial statements in the break room. Please don't do that because you you can never roll back the clock and take it back. You, yeah. you want to be very intentional if that's something that you decide to do with your team. Exactly. I think that's great though. It, yeah, it's kind of a variation of it because you're sharing with them information so they understand where dollars are going, what that looks like. Even I think other things on dashboards like amount of, um, repeat or fixes, like where people have to go back and fix a job that was done wrong, what percent of cost that is, and whatnot helps people to understand what is our dashboard for our numbers, even if that's extracted into a percentage or something like that. That's great. I love the top five expenses, overhead expenses. Yeah, I do too. And it's Very so nice. cool when they start to say the information back to us. And so it was so cool because um, in one meeting, we were talking about the cost of something. And one of my employees, he was like, yeah, but you're not considering the lost opportunity costs. I was like, this this is so awesome because they're starting to understand. They're starting to act more like owners Mm -hmm. because they they care about the company Mm long-term. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. I do think that's an interesting thing with the 36, because I wonder if that also is a subconscious expectation of new business owners, that that should be what they're gearing for. And so whenever it's under, they're like, no, no, I should have this much gravy when that is a really challenging task to get there. Yep. Yeah. 
All right, yeah. awesome. Well, I think we are probably at time. Yeah. Um, David, did you any, have any other questions? Really I don't. Quick? This has Gina, been fun. Did you have anything else that you've been thinking about that you feel like is important to share before we wrap up? Uh, just start small, start where you feel comfortable, and I promise you will, uh, you'll become addicted to it and you'll look for additional ways. You'll find ways. Right now you're too busy, but you will start looking for ways to delegate to your team. Yeah, there's so many things that you can do. I feel like this isn't even the tip of the iceberg. I feel like this is a little snowball on the top of the iceberg of automating your business and empowering your people. But thank you for sharing these uh, tips. And I Absolutely. think they're a good place to start. Absolutely. Yeah, we so appreciate it, Tina. Thanks well, for thank joining you. us. And uh, Christy, anything to wrap up with or we're no, all good? Just, uh, thank our listeners. If you guys yep. have questions, um, put them in the comments. We always like to hear your comments, things that you're wondering. You're like, wait, you didn't ask this. We could always have Tina back again. Would That's not right. be a problem at all. So um, if there are questions, put them in the comments. If you're interested in connecting with Tina, um, please do that. She is really incredible with not just your finances. Again, remember her background is as a CPA. She really understands the nuts and bolts of your business finances, but then how those really ripple into the rest of your business and how to run that well. So Panoramic Academy is her business where she is has classes and webinars and things like that. So reach out to her if you're interested. Um, Tina, any other places where people should look for you? LinkedIn, Facebook? Uh, Facebook. Um, I'm spent a lot of time in there. <laughs> All right. Perfect. All righty. Good. All right. Well, we'll catch up with you, David, next week. Tina, thank you yep. so much. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Innovative Leader Podcast with Christy Geiger and David Phillips. If you have questions, ideas, or thoughts to share, please do so in the comments. Help us raise the level of leadership and share with other leaders. We want to grow a community of leaders supporting one another. Follow us on YouTube or subscribe on the channel where you get your podcasts. To learn more, check out innovativeleader.co. Have a great week and lead well. It matters.